I just love being outside. There's so many things to do this time of the year. I don't want to spend a lot of time cooking. And that's why I love Factors. No prep, no mess meals. Head to Factormeals.com slash Bands50 and use the code Bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Bands50 at Factormeals.com slash Bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, I'll see you Thursday night. Thursday night? Yeah. It's Thursday, Thursday, the day before Friday, the day after Wednesday, two days after Tuesday. Thursday. Because it's Wednesday. Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Thursday, I don't care about you. Thursday doesn't even start. So sometime between now and uh, Thursday, I've got to come up with a small fortune. It's the gateway to the weekend. Thursday. Now, here's Bob and Sherry. Oh, we've got a big show for you today. We have a really funny comic, Jeff Sheen. We're going to be talking about Alex Murdoch's brother and what he's had to say. We've got some cool dog news for you. We've got some Dolly Parton news. And I want to kick off the show, guys, talking about um, Bruce Willis. I This has torn me up. Like, I was a Bruce Willis fan, like, all the way back from his early TV days. And he has FTD, which is a form of dementia, frontotemporal dementia, that strikes people um, when they're young. I I lost my best friend to it, and she was very young when she died. And so I he's I've sixty. Really, he's what sixty seven years old now. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's. Uh, it's just it's awful. It started with aphasia. Now it's an FTD diagnosis. It is one hundred percent fatal, one hundred percent untreatable, one hundred percent incurable. The frontal temporal lobes of his brain are just shutting down like a neighborhood in a blackout. And his wife, and this just broke my heart. I follow her on Instagram and she shares stuff about their family and videos and pictures of Bruce and, and all him with all of his children at home. It just tears your heart up. She had to come on Instagram and ask the paparazzi to please stop shouting at him when he's out about in the world. We, We have a clip and the video people um, that are trying to get those exclusives of my husband out and about, just keep your space. I know this is your job, um, but maybe just keep your space for the video people. Please don't be yelling at my husband, asking him how he's doing or whatever, the woo-hooing and the yippee ki Just don't do it, okay? Um, give him a space. Allow for our family or whoever's with him that day to be able to get him from point A to point B safely they will they will ignore her request paparazzi especially in los angeles are are just animals that will do anything to make a buck on a shot what what people don't realize um and i think if if you understood it if you experienced it up close your your heart might change a little bit and of course these paparazzi they don't care i mean they chase princess diana to her death in a tunnel like anything for the shot because it's worth a fortune to them right But what you don't realize is how frightening that is for Bruce Willis. Mm -hmm. He does not know. He does not know what you mean when he walks out of, he gets out of a car and flashes are going off and people are yelling, yippee ki mother. Like he doesn't understand any of that. You're just scaring this man. It is. Aren't aren't you surprised? Aren't you surprised? And part of it is just the image that people who are performers like he is, have in our minds the guy seemed invincible 
right? He's crawling with no shirt on, bleeding through air conditioning ducts to get away from the bad guys or to go get the, the, the bad guys or whatever. I mean, that's Bruce Willis in everybody's mind. The most charming guy on TV with moonlighting. Just in, uh, invincible. And then this happens, and it just goes to show you that uh, you just don't know what's coming down the pike. But when it's someone like Bruce Willis, especially, um, it really gets your attention. And he, what, he's 67 years old. My my friend began showing symptoms in her early 40s. So mm. it he's late, actually, to the FTD really? party. And mm. a lot of times it isn't proper. Like It's a hard diagnosis to make. You can only really make it with an autopsy. That's how grim this is, right? So the thing about Bruce Willis, who was so handsome and glib and charming and invincible and tough and brave and all of those things. And, and now he has this terrible, incurable, fatal disease. It just, it's a powerful reminder that no amount of wealth or fame or talent or beauty can protect anybody. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, he's had, our he's had an speaks- interesting ride, you know, because I think for a short period of time when that TV show he did called Moonlighting and, and I see it popping up, on my feeds now and then, a, a uh, uh, like a still of he and Sybil Shepherd. I think he was the biggest male movie uh, television star in the world. Oh, he was a phenomenon. Time. Yeah, he was. An, and and an then the Die Hard success. movies. Yeah, and and you know he he was uh, beyond the Die Hard movies. He was in some very good movies uh, as a serious actor. Um, and then funny as can be. I mean, just uh, and then married to uh demi moore i mean we've we most people of a certain age have followed his career from its its origins which i think was moonlighting to this situation now you know it's like he's always been with us it's a hard thing because all of our you know we all are consuming gobs and gobs and gobs of news and entertainment on our phones and laptops or whatever and all of those photos of stars that you're swiping on exist because paparazzi follow these people around. So we're all sort of part of it, right? But the yep. appetite to watch a great action movie star who was known for all of the things you described, the temptation to watch him twilight and then die, the appetite for that is as big as the appetite was to see him at his peak. And that says a lot about us as for some as people, a for some people, not for me. We got morons in the news coming up. We got a round of small plates, comedian Jeff Sheen, some news on the Murdochs. It's Bob and Sherry. Bob and Sherry live tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern tonight, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. If you could take a pill, a simple pill and erase bad memories from your mind, would you take that pill? And you have to give that some thought because it's evidently on the horizons. The uh, technique has huge ethical implications. The Canadian scientist developing it has warned about that. Removing all bad memories could prevent us from learning from our mistakes, says the scientist at the University of Toronto in Canada. Uh, In real life, the University of Toronto team has succeeded in activating and erasing fear-based memories in mice. And so the next jump is to human beings. And the idea is to, as an example, help somebody with an addiction, 
forget about the addiction or a past trauma. Perhaps you were in war. Perhaps you've lost people uh, in, in your life and it was a traumatic way of losing them. Um, and then, you know, lesser, lesser things that went on in your life. And we all know where we're going with that, with terrible breakups. Would you take that pill? It would have to depend on what it was I wanted to forget. Um, yeah. Because so I, far, I agree. so far, um, the only way I've ever learned anything is the hard, awful way. And so there's some memories there that um, I, I can't let go of. But this, I can imagine I, like someone who's been in combat or someone who's been assaulted. And mm-hmm. I, I can imagine there are plenty of places where you would do anything to be free of that. This is the subject well, of the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah. That was mentioned that was mentioned in this article, uh, the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind in which an estranged couple erase each other from their memories. Wasn't that the uh, concept yes. of, of, yep. the, of the that film? Was. You know, uh, here's, I tell you what, I would take that pill. If they could be specific, I don't know how they would do it being specific, but I saw a photograph of a billboard that I was on before I was working with you when I was just starting in radio. My head is the size of a Buick on this billboard. And the mustache that I have on my face, if I could just get that memory erased, <laughs> along with my urban cowboy days, I, I would think, I think I'd be a happier man, honest to God. You know what's challenging about this is you might get the memory erased, but nobody else in your life would have that memory erased. And it's just, there's so much weirdness that's fine. around this. That, that's fine. It's like if I was going bald in the back of my head, but I have full hair in the front, that's fine because I don't see it. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to ease my mind a little bit. Now, I've had trauma that I would love to have erased, but I get that whole thing about, you know, if you had a breakup here, I mean, that's the, that is the most common thing. Could you, if you erased that person from your existence, you would also erase, erase some of the good times because even if you had the worst breakup in the world, you probably still had some good times in the relationship, right? So if you drop the pill, she or he is gone forever. You don't remember anything. You don't, re- you don't remember walking in and, and there's, you know, your brother with your girlfriend or whatever it is. But you don't remember, you know, having a trip to California with her either. So that's a that's tricky why- one there. That's why you can't like you wouldn't I don't think the eternal sunshine situation where you could erase an entire relationship. I don't think they'll ever come up with a pill for that. There might be a way to uh, lose a traumatic memory that happened in the relationship. But how are you erasing? How are you erasing that much of a chunk of your life without damaging your own brain and the rest of your memories? How are you doing? That's true. How about this, though? How about would you not like to erase you, you know the times, the 10 times we were nominated for the show of the year, the Marconi Award, and then and then we lost. Would you like to erase the memories of people coming by the table that night saying, uh, maybe next time, ah, uh, you should have won. Uh, well, just being nominated is enough, isn't it, Bob and Sherry? Would you not love to erase that? Oh, no, Bob, I'm holding on to that as though it has value. <laughs> I don't want to let go of that at all. 
That's my girl. <laughs> I have a little I have a little box where I keep my treasures. Oh look, there's my first baby tooth. Oh look, there's the ring that my grandma black hair left me. Oh look, there's the right that I've gotten from the radio industry. I'm not letting go of any of these precious mementos. Understood. Understood. All right. Stay right there, folks. We've got some laps coming your way straight ahead. It's Bob and Sherry's Morons in the News. It's next. Do it. Let's go. Go. Bob and Sherry. Idiot. With Morons in the News. I have never had the biscuits at Popeye's Chicken Restaurant, but I think I'm going to try them. This is from Georgia. Deputies from the Richmond County Sheriff's Office arrived at the Popeye's Chicken Restaurant in Augusta, Georgia, after a call came in regarding an accident. Deputies said they spoke with the manager who said the customer, later identified as 50-year-old Belinda Miller, quote, became upset that her order did not have any biscuits and drove her Toyota RAV4 into one of the entrances of the restaurant. According to the manager, an employee was almost hit by the suspect's SUV. A witness standing in the parking lot allegedly saw Ms. Miller crash into the side of the restaurant and then drive off. Investigators interviewed another witness who claimed she was waiting in line inside the restaurant when Miller told her, hurry up and get her order because I'm coming back. Miller then called the Popeyes a few minutes later and police said, She warned them she was, quote, I'm already on papers and I'm driving my vehicle into the building. Uh, Before the crash, the manager said that she had, quote, corrected the mistake and gave Miller her biscuit. But Miller was still not happy. She uh, wrecked the front end and may have totaled the RAV4. And that's a nice car. That's a really nice car. And she has been arrested. Well, I got to try those biscuits, Cher. If you are going to drive into a restaurant because you didn't get your biscuits, they have got to be good. Listen, what this lady did was wrong, but I could see myself snapping and losing it over a Popeye's biscuit. You don't even know how good that is. And if I'm going to Popeye's, I'm going to be honest, we're getting the chicken, but I'm really there for the biscuits. Because I love me some carbs. And they are so good. Yeah, God bless, sister. I... I feel you. Okay, today's moron of the day um, is a guy who flew from Los Angeles into the Orlando airport. And um, he checked his bags in L.A. And drug-sniffing canines alerted on these bags. And so agents decided, DEA agents decided, that since Los Angeles is a well-documented source city for narcotics, they were going to put those bags under surveillance and wait to see who picked them up. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, here comes Michael Jason Scarlett. He grabs both the bag that the dogs alerted on and a different bag from baggage claim. And uh, he's talking on his cell phone and he's pacing back and forth. And that's when the DEA agents approached him and said, sir, we'd like to ask you some questions about your bags. And Michael Scarlett said, Oh, yeah, they're mine, but my wife did all the packing. Ding, 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 (laughs) throws wife under the bus. Yes. And and then they said, what brings you to Orlando? And he said, I'm here for a couple of days looking for work. So they brought him into an interview room, and they unpacked the bag that the dogs alerted on. They found a pillow, some shoes, 
some bounce dryer sheets, and multiple vacuum-sealed bags of marijuana and meth. 38 pounds of meth. 38 wow. pounds. Boy, that wow. wife, that wife was really up to something, wasn't she? Sir, you are greedy. 38 pounds of meth. So at that point, um, the DEA guy said, uh, sir, you have four pounds of marijuana and 38 pounds of methamphetamine here. Mr. Scarlett said, oh, I know I'm in a lot of trouble and I deserve to be. And then he told the DEA, I want to cooperate. And he changed his story. And <laughs> now, it's not, now it's not my wife who packed my bags. He said, a dude named Chewy offered me 500 bucks <laughs> to bring to these be a mule. suitcases to Orlando. And then he said, and I'm real scared because Chewy was on the same flight. DEA arrested Mr. Scarlett and brought him to the Seminole County Jail. There's no sign of a Chewy or any gentleman on the flight manifest named Chewy, although my guess is Chewy's your nickname, and you're probably not flying as Chewy. No, you're not. I wonder if there was a guy who set him up to be a mule, or whether or not he's just lying and making up the whole Chewy thing. It could go either way, really. I mean, if you are Chewy, that was kind of smart. I'm going to give you this money. Don't ask any questions to carry this in. My name is Chewy. And, and then Chewy gets off the plane and he just observes what happens with the suitcases. He sees the cops show up and he takes off. Yeah, I mean, that's probably how it went down. I just, yeah. I know that not everyone had some of the advantages I had in childhood of growing up in a family of meth dealers. So let me give you all the benefit of my experience having grown up in criminals. Um, when a person comes up to you at the airport and says, I'm Chewy, here's 500 bucks. <laughs> if you'll take this suitcase to Orlando, mm-hmm. that's always going to end badly. 100% right. of the time. Right. Do not take money from strangers named Chewy to transport suitcases ever. We're going right. to post today's Moron of the Day up at the Bob and Sherry Facebook. Coming up, we have comedian Jeff Sheen. We have a really amazing dog story. The dogs of Chernobyl are very strange in ways that you would never have expected. Plus, the Bob and Sherry box office and just one more freaking reason to love Dolly Parton as the queen she is. All of that straight ahead. It's Bob and Sherry. Bring whatever you drink and celebrate. Happy hour, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. Tonight, it's Bob and Sherry. Um, earlier this week, uh, Mel Brooks, the legendary filmmaker, did an AMA on Reddit and Ask Me Anything. And one of the people asked him to talk about Gene Wilder and Young Frankenstein. And he said that Gene Wilder had never been happier than when they were making Young Frankenstein. So much so that he said to Mel Brooks on the last day of shooting, it was their final day. And when it was all over, Gene Wilder said to Mel Brooks, I don't want to go home. I want to stay here. I love it here. I'm happy here. You think we could make up a few more scenes for the movie? Let's not leave. Let's keep going. Max has a Young Frankenstein clip. Now, that brain that you gave me, was it Hans Delbrooks? No. Ah. Good. Uh... Would you mind telling me whose brain I 
did put in. And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. <laughs> Mel Brooks said, I hate actors. But on Young Frankenstein, I ate lunch with him every day because I like that cast so much. Madeline Kahn, Terry Garr, Marty Feldman, Gene Wilder, Peter Boyle. It was magnificent. Do you, do you know who else was in that movie at a very small, and he just worked for scale, was Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah, as the blind yeah, guy. He, yeah, he, you're right. He, he, he did play that movie. Do you know what's funny about you bringing this up, Sherry? I went down a wormhole of watching outtakes from this movie, and the only thing I could think was, these people are genuinely enjoying each other's company. I told you that. It's so funny that I just happened to see that. And, and then I, I what does finished, Mel Brooks I, say on Reddit this week? Like, this yeah. was the best movie to work on for everybody. Yeah. I just finished his autobiography. It's called All of Me, and it's the most amazing show business book I've ever read in my life. His life was incredible. Ann Baxter was his wife. He was so nervous about um, dating her because she was an established star. And he was a writer for, I think, The Tonight Show or one of those old-time shows, one of the original uh, late-night shows. He was not making enough money to take her to a good restaurant. And he had to tell her that, and she helped pick up the bill. And then they were married for decades after that. And Bancroft, he, yeah. 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 Um, it's, a Bancroft, wonderful, right? it's a wonderful story. And if you've never seen Young Frankenstein... Make it the point this weekend. You will not regret it. You'll love it. It's Bob and Sherry. I just love being outside. There's so many things to do this time of the year. I don't want to spend a lot of time cooking. And that's why I love Factors. No prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. And here's the best part. They are absolutely delicious. I love them. 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from. Head to factormeals.com slash bands50 and use the code bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code bands50 at factormeals.com slash bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I just love being outside. There's so many things to do this time of the year. I don't want to spend a lot of time cooking, and that's why I love Factors. No prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. And here's the best part. They are absolutely delicious. I love them. 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from. Head to factormeals.com slash bands50 and use the code bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code bands50 at factormeals.com slash bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. 
Bring whatever you drink and celebrate Happy Hour, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. Tonight, it's Bob and Sherry. I learned something last night that um, I can't stop thinking about. It has to do with Bacardi, the liquor. My husband's a rum drinker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bacardi is the world's, I didn't know this. Here's what I learned last night. Bacardi is the world's biggest privately owned spirits alcohol company. Really? And not only Bacardi owns Bacardi, but it also owns Bombay Gym and Cazadores Tequila and Grey Goose Vodka. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of brands under there. They made about four and a half billion in sales last year. Um, we contributed to that. Cause like I said, my husband's a Bacardi drinker. Tony, who works with us as a Bacardi drinker, the heiress to the Bacardi fortune just got married and they, she and her um, fiance, her, now her husband, he's a professional softball player. Wait a minute. Hold um, on. Hold on one sec. Hold on one sec. That is most guys' dream to marry the heiress of the Bacardi fortune. Yeah. He got there <laughs> first, boys. <laughs> Go ahead. Her name is Erica Vasquez Bacardi, and she married professional softball player Joey DePriest Caparelli, which – the name Joey DePriest Caparelli sounds <laughs> yeah. like the kid in my seventh grade class that was always in trouble with the nuns. <laughs> right. Mr. DePriest Caparelli. Fix your tie. Anywho, they right. got married. They got married at Disney in uh, Orlando. They got married at Disney really? in Orlando. They had a three-day wedding, as one does. And You'd need to be an heiress to pay for that at Disney. I'll tell you that much. $4 million wedding. Woo! The wedding wow. planner um, who does weddings for celebrities, he and his team took the Palm Ballroom at Disney World Orlando and turned it into a whimsical, magical forest for the three-day, 300-guest celebration. This guy said, it's the most expensive wedding I've ever done. And he's a celebrity wedding dude, okay? Among the many things that they did in this ballroom, they transformed the ballroom into an enchanted forest. The dance floor looked like you were walking and dancing on water. They had performers on stilts, human beings painted green and draped in fake leaves and vines so that the trees would get up and walk around the room while you were listening to um, a violinist who has a Grammy uh, playing for you. I'll spare you like everything that they were served in terms of food and drink. The pictures from this wedding, I've never seen anything like it. It looked like Carnival in Rio meets Mardi Gras meets my MTV's My Sweet 16. Like, it was insane. All at Disney, which is apparently the bride and groom's favorite place in the whole world. The The thing that fascinated me about this, this is someone who you've never heard of and had no idea existed. Like all the rich people that you know are like celebrities, athletes, people whose names make it into your newsfeed, Bill Gates. This woman and now her and Joey DePriest Caparelli, her softball playing husband. These people are in line to inherit billions and billions and billions in booze money. And you have no idea who they are. This is the best way to be completely anonymous and richer than sin. Right. You know, um, if you tell, I've had some really rough jobs in the past. I I mean, I've worked as an exterminator, picking up rats 
on dead rats on farms. I've worked in factories and, and while I was trying to get into college. I would rather have any of those jobs I just described than be one of the human beings on stilts pretending I'm a tree at this rich person's wedding. I, j- really? I just don't know. I don't think that I can walk around pretending, well, I, they want me to move. Okay, here's the tree next to me tree next to me and I, are you ready to go? Here we are. Let's move over in there and let, let the people down there see us. I just could not take that gig. Mm-mm. Or, or could it, could you look at it this way and go, I just got paid whatever. I don't know. I don't have the information on what they paid the stilt dancers. I just got paid a small fortune to be spray painted green draped in leaves. And I'm just wandering around this ballroom all night, like a tree come to life. I just have to know what a small fortune is, though, because I would just be looking down saying, I am almost an inanimate object right now. That's what I'm portraying. I'm not portraying a human being. I'm portraying a freaking tree for these people who have inherited all this money. If you've ever seen the touring, the Broadway version of Lion King that tours all over the country, the one of the things that makes it incredible is that the performers who are in those cost those animal costumes on stilts, mm-hmm. you know, d- dancing and moving as giraffes and yeah. lions and hyenas. Yeah, yeah, that's the that is the vibe that this has. These people look like they don't even look like the people on stilts. They don't even look like people. They look like magic. And I, I hear okay, what you're saying, well, but I I think good, you have but... a real I think you have a real problem not with authority but with um, inherited wealth. I think that you could not be a dancing stilt tree man just because of the inherited wealth factor here. Yes, and lack of talent would also have to be thrown in there. It, it just seems so wrong that you are portraying, as I said, an inanimate object while these people are, you know, drinking champagne and walking on what appears to be water. And, you know... I, I just would feel like so much the, of, of the, I don't even want to say lower class. It's, it's just, I'm supposed to be just amazed working there because I'm with my betters. And I just would rather have a job picking up dead rats. I know so many dancers and this would be such a sweet gig. Are you kidding? You're getting paid nah. to, to do that? You see, you just have, this is inherited wealth. You have a chip on your shoulder. Can I just tell you? If these two people had earned that money, you might feel differently. As someone who portrayed Beefy the Cowman on television, Mm -hmm. I I think a paycheck paycheck is a paycheck. Yeah, I hear you. And the the larger the paycheck, the happier I am. I don't care. I'm going to sing the Beefy the Cowman jingle that my brother wrote for you. Go ahead. Beefy the Cowman, the cow women love. Cow below and man, man above. above. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather be I'd rather be beefy the cow man. Bring whatever you drink and celebrate happy hour, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. Tonight it's Bob and Sherry. It is time now for Bob and Sherry's small place. These are stories that come from the USA and around the world that you may have missed. Scientists have confirmed. Being in a settled relationship increases the likelihood of weight gain. And here's why. They made the conclusion after assessing 10 years worth of data from 15,000 couples. So that's pretty good study. The study showed that couples 
way more than single people, despite having healthier lifestyles and eating more fruit and vegetables. And children that they have can only worsen weight problems as parents tend to munch on the leftovers and snacks of their kids. Cozy evenings spent binge-watching TV and munching popcorn on the sofa have taken the brunt of the blame. Eating good food together is one of the best parts of being married, of course. But if you're just sitting around and you're so happy, you know, the new Perry Mason series is on, the new season is streaming, and you're saying, oh, I want to watch that. And all of a sudden, you're just sitting for hours and hours, and then it's going to be on again tomorrow, and you're sitting for hours and hours. Whereas, if you are single and on the prowl, you're out there, you're moving, you're moving, you're looking in the mirror more. How do I look? You settle for having a little bit of an expanded waistline if you are in a really committed and probably good relationship. You know, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I'm totally. And and also because men eat differently. And if we eat like y'all, it's bad. It is actually, I have to admit, I have had more women that I've dated over the years. I mean, a few uh, escaped, but I've had a bunch of women who said, you know, after I started dating you for a while, I put on weight. And I don't know what to say to that. It's it's like, I'm, I'm not saying, all right, open that pie hole. You, you're not, you haven't finished this cheeseburger yet. We're going to get that right down there. What's the reason for it? Because you would eat salads or, or healthier foods or do a Mediterranean diet, whereas we're eating meat and, and fatty stuff, so you get stuck with it? It's not so much that we get stuck with it. It's that pepperoni pizza is a lot more delicious than a kale bowl. And so if I have yeah. a kale bowl and you have pepperoni pizza, I'm going to want some of your pepperoni pizza. But I cannot think of anything sadder than being alone with a kale bowl on Saturday night. Can you? Um... It is. It's sad. It's tragic. It's very sad. But yeah, some of it is just that, like you guys, your metabolisms are different. Like my husband during football, college football season, during college football season, will unhinge his jaw (laughs) on a Saturday afternoon (laughs) and he will eat. And and this is not in any way an exaggeration. It's a football Saturday. The mighty Georgia Bulldogs are playing. He will unhinge his jaw. He will consume between six and nine glazed Krispy Kreme donuts, a jumbo-sized bag of popcorn, an order of chicken wings, a half a, a half a block of cheddar cheese, some pickles, some green olives, um, some pizza. Then he'll come in. He'll be a little bit like I don't know. He wants a little something, something. So he'll head into the refrigerator. And he'll eat some celery sticks dipped in blue cheese. But because they're celery sticks, in his mind, he believes that they have purged his system of everything yeah, that came food. before. Yeah, And right. creating room for the bag of dill pickle flavored potato chips that he's going <laughs> to chow down on after the Georgia Bulldogs win. And it's time to watch Alabama play somebody. And yeah. this is this is college football season for him. If I ate, If I ate for one day like that... Y'all would be sending get well cards to the ICU. Like I would die if I ate that food. But he just Oh, I left off you know, I left off pimento cheese. Right. Um jalapeno flavored pimento cheese because it has a green vegetable in it and we're not 
animals here. It's Has crazy. it ever been proven scientifically that men have uh, a metabolism that will uh, allow us to lose weight faster than women? Probably. Yeah, probably. I, I've ne- I've I think never it has seen to it, do with My wife throws it at me all, and, all the yeah. time. I, I never look at a scale, but it was just standing there, and I'd been eating a lot at night it for is. a few days. It is easier for men to lose weight. It is. Oh, it is? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and I looked out, and I went, I am a big, fat pig. And from the other room, I can hear her laughing, and she's saying, Why, what's going on with that? And I said, I just stepped to your scale, and I, I think I gained four pounds and then she walked away. She said, yeah, you'll lose that over the weekend. Ticked Bob, off. Really In the time that off. I've known you, you'll come into the studio and you'll say something like, I, I need to lose some weight. I'm not going to eat French fries this week. And then eat, you don't eat French fries this week. You still have hamburgers and pizza and alcohol and ice cream, but you just don't eat French fries. You drop five pounds. Next week is a whole new week. Here's me. Yeah. I need to lose five pounds. Does anyone have a chainsaw so I can take off a limb? Because that's the only way it's happening. You sound it's like Mary. Bob and Sherry. Happy hour tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. It's time for Everyone Needs a Laugh. Here is comedian Jeff Sheen. See, I'm from the Midwest, moved to the city. I got hit by a car immediately. <laughs> I did, yeah, I got hit. Yeah, just crossing the street. Because growing up in the woods, you don't look both ways. There's no traffic, it's dirt roads. So I had the woods mentality, moved to the city. This is what happened. I was hanging out with some friends, and I was like, oh, you got, I gotta go, you guys, there's my, there's the bus. I gotta catch this bus, I'll see you later. And I went to walk, the bus stop was on the other side of the street, and I just, I just walked to the bus stop. I didn't think, I just walked straight to it. And then I remember I got in the middle of the road, and I was like, all right, you're supposed to look. So I looked, and I just saw a Honda Civic headed my way. And I did that up noise. I went up. <laughs> you know that up noise where you don't know what? You just go up. And then everything went dark. That's all I remember going up, black. And then I wake up and I'm just laying in the road. And I popped up and the bus was at the bus stop. And you know when you're in bus catching mode. <laughs> Whatever that was doesn't matter. So I just popped up with bus and I hobbled. And I still got out of the bus. I swiped my car, I got a window seat, everything's looking good. And I sit down and the bus doesn't move. And then I look out the window and there's about 30 people all on the sidewalk looking at me specifically. And I was like, what's going on? I didn't even know what happened. And I said, my friend comes running across the street and he gets onto the bus. He goes, Jeffy, you got to get off the bus, man. We all saw you get hit by that car. You flew into the air. Pretty sure you're in shock right now. There's an ambulance on the way. And I was like, an ambulance? That's going to cost a lot more than this bus. I don't have ambulance money. I'm a bus guy. So I stood up. I looked behind me, and everybody on the bus was just looking at me, wide-eyed. Because they're just on their way home, and then they see a guy get hit, and then still get on. Just like, Mondays, can you believe it? (laughs) Oh, boy. So, my friend, we get off, and we go back across the street, and he takes me to the bathroom and goes, you got to clean up. And I look in the mirror, and there's just blood all over my face. Just, oh, just all blood. And I was like, Cody, am I okay? And he's like, nobody knows. We have no idea. 
So the ambulance shows up, and I'm talking to him. I was like, I don't have any health insurance. Can I not go? I feel okay. <laughs> I'm trying to talk my way out of it. They're like, no, you gotta go. Come on, let's go. So they take me in the ambulance, and I'm sitting in the ambulance. Then we're on the way to the hospital, and remember this, there's an older guy with a mustache. He's got the clipboard, and he goes, did I over here? You don't have any health insurance? I was like, yeah, I got nothing. I'm freaking out. And he goes, well, we can't bill you if you give me a fake name. <laughs> so what's your name? And my name is Jeff Sheen. And I went, it's Jeff Shine? That <laughs> was the best I could think of. And he, even he was like, isn't that your name? And I was like, it's close, but no. And he's like, how about we just call you Jeff Adams? I was like, you can call me whatever you want. As long as this is free, call me Betty. I don't care. <laughs> So we get to the hospital, and he grabs me by the shoulders, and he goes, remember, you're Jeff Adams. Good luck. <laughs> like, I'm getting ready for an audition. I'm like, thanks, Dad. I'll knock him dead. So I walk into the hospital, and I was like, hi, I got hit by a car, and I'm Jeff Adams. Ta-da! That's all I have for this character so far. I'm still working on it. And they're like, all right, have a seat. We'll come get you in a minute. We'll take you in the back room. So they finally, they take me in the back room. The doctor signs, signs a light in my eyes. And he's like, well, I don't see a concussion. So that's good. But how about you go back to the waiting room? We'll get you in a second to give you a CAT scan to make sure your brain's not bleeding. So I'm sitting in the waiting room and I'm freaking out. At a CAT scan, they might figure out who I am. I don't know, they're looking in here. I'm not smart. <laughs> So I'm sitting there and the same guy, he walks out and he goes, the same paramedic walks by and he goes, hey, come outside with me real quick. So we go outside and he goes, do you have a concussion or anything? What's going on? And I was like, they want to give me a CAT scan to make sure my brain's not bleeding. So I don't, I don't know, man. And he's like, the odds of that happening is like one in a million. They don't know who you are. Just get out of here. <laughs> so I just left. And I got home, my roommate was like, what happened to you? And I was like, I got hit by a car. And I just snuck out of the hospital. <laughs> I'm gonna go to bed. Wish me luck. <laughs> and I made it. Thank you very much. That is a lot to go through to get a new routine. I have to tell you. Not saying he doesn't have a new routine, but woo, doggy. What does it say about how expensive insurance and the doctors are that you're like, I'm going to gamble on a fatal brain bleed. I know. can't pay the bill. It's crazy. Jeff Sheen will post that set up at B-O-B-A-N-D-S-H-E-R-I.com. This is Bob and Sherry. Bob and Sherry, live tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Tonight, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. If you've never been to Charleston, South Carolina, uh, it is one of the most charming cities in the United States. And it's always been like the number one, not always, but the last 10 years, number one uh, travel destination for people throughout the world, really. And my daughters, both of them live in the area. And Mary and I went to visit them and my grandchildren uh, a few days ago and had a wonderful time. So we're walking down one of the streets and the streets are just packed with uh, all sorts of people from all over the world and a lot of shops, especially women's shops. And the architecture is great. It goes back in some cases to the uh, 1600s. A lot of beautiful old restored buildings. And we're walking down the street and Mary's looking at the shops as we're moving along. And I stopped and I said, look at that. That's an old movie theater. It's called the Riviera. 
That's a perfect example of Art Deco. Look at the sign at the top. Even the sign on the top of the building is Art Deco. It's absolutely perfect. And she turned to me and said, I'm going into the store to take a look. You stand here and stare at that building. I just, <laughs> does, does she know me that well, or am I so simple that I could stand on a street corner and just stare at a building? I can't figure out which one it is. Did you, you stand you, you there st- you and stand stare? There. I did. I did. Yeah. And, and it and was did- a wonderful building to look at, but just those words, you just stand here and stare at that building. That's that's what she thinks I do. I stare at things, I guess. Here's the thing. You can't tell me you don't have a better time staring at that building than you would have had inside that store that sells tea towels that say, if mom ain't happy, nobody ain't happy. <laughs> yeah, and that's, spoon that's rests. Yeah, that Come is on. the truth. I know it. Oh, my goodness. I, I went into with her probably five uh, women's stores. And when a guy goes into a woman's store, if he has any experience at all, the first thing he does is look for the husband chair slash couch. That's what you do. I mean, for a while, you know, you walk with her until you realize she doesn't want you over her shoulder as she's looking at a dress or a shirt or whatever. You just go for that chair, sit there and shut up. Unless you can be outside staring at a building building. across the street for about 10 minutes. Yeah, it's it's you know it's nice when you have a hobby, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. Yeah, there's always something to do. That's right. There's so many buildings to stare at. (laughs) Right. It's Bob and Sherry. I just love being outside. There's so many things to do this time of the year. I don't want to spend a lot of time cooking, and that's why I love Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. And here's the best part they are absolutely delicious. I love them. 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from. Head to factormeals.com slash bands50 and use the code bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code bands50 at factormeals.com slash bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I just love being outside. There's so many things to do this time of the year. I don't want to spend a lot of time cooking, and that's why I love Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. And here's the best part. They are absolutely delicious. I love them. 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from. Head to factormeals.com slash bands50 and use the code bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code bands50 at factormeals.com slash bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Happy hour tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. 
let's hit the phone at 844-52-SHERRY. That's 844-52-SHERRI. And if you are a person who doesn't use your phone to make phone calls but texts and play games on it, download our app. It's free in the Google Play and the Apple Store, and it does loads of things, including when you tap the little microphone in the bottom center of the screen and talk, the app sends your message right to us. Hey, Bob, Sherry, Max, and Doc. This is Steph. I am from South Carolina, and I was just listening. I'm a little behind, but Sherry was talking about how in her school, they announced if you made a team or if you passed your AP exam or something over the intercom. And I had a similar experience that when I look back today, I it's absolutely bananas that they did this. But when I was in middle school um, and you tried out for the cheerleading squad, you tried out in front of the entire middle school. That's 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. In addition, you were scored and ranked by the boys' basketball team and the boys' football team. Um, so, oh, and, and the girls' basketball team, too. Um, and then some teachers uh, uh, weighed in a little bit, too. But then they announced it over the intercom, too, um, whether or not you made it or didn't make it. And I look back now, and, oh, P.S., I, I didn't make it. Um, but I look back now, and it's just, it's bananas that they even did that. But that was like a small, I say small, like maybe, you know, 600 people, Tennessee school. I bet there are schools that do that today. Um, so I'm a college professor now, and the other day I randomly mentioned that to my uh, one of my classes, and they just, I felt like they wanted to cancel class on my behalf so I could recover from it. Um, <laughs> clearly I haven't because here I am telling you guys about it now. At any rate, I love you guys. Have a great day. She's that's great. Just, Can you imagine? That, that's so Lord of the Flies. How was it that is. ever okay? Come did on. they post? Did they post grades uh, on bulletin boards in your school? They didn't post grades like for just everything, but yeah. they would post um, like AP exam scores. You could go look at yeah. your AP scores. I, I can't um, remember if grades were posted. I know whether or not you made a team was posted uh, for all to see. Do you know what they did when I was in college? They posted grades by your social security number. What could what? go wrong here? Oh, my was, word. They would put up it, your social security number, and that's how – and it's like now that I think about that, that's crazy. It was a different time. You know, <laughs> it was just such an innocent and, and better time. You know what, I, I you know what was really I, uh, the worst of what she was talking about? Making the cheerleading squad was dependent in large part, evidently, on the boys of the uh, – football and basketball teams just kind of, uh, you know, putting in their input and a couple of teachers. I, I don't know. There was a who, creepiness who else to would all make that. the choice? Yeah. What? I mean, you would have the, I would think you would have maybe uh, the, the teacher who uh, was in charge of the cheerleader squad, a female teacher in charge of the cheerleader yeah. squad would make the decision yeah. on that and her right. assistant or maybe. And you her know. assistant, if she had one. Yeah, exactly. The, the way it worked at my school, the cheer coach was the only person who made the selection decision. But then everything from JV baseball to cheerleading to whatever was announced on the PA system so that everyone could stare at you if your name wasn't called. Right. I, I just thought it was savage Brutal. and cruel. Yeah, yeah. But, but when, you, when, when you step back from it, is it a teaching moment that life is tough? Life is difficult. Maybe this is not, maybe cheer is not for you. Uh, maybe making the baseball team is not for you. Are, are we 
softening them to life's disappointments. Because most of all, most of us are going to come up upon some really heartbreaking disappointments. If you're taking that big of a chance, you shouldn't have to do that in front of the entire school and the the boys and and, uh, girls basketball teams and everything else. You should just do it in front of whoever it is that's the moderator. Oh, the performance, yes. But I'm wondering Ah. if the calling out of who made it and who didn't make it is part of life. I disagree. I disagree with you. I think that the kid put in the work, the kid tried out, the kid didn't make it. How, what, how is humiliation a teachable moment? I mean, and what are we teaching there? Like, well, Sherry, well you tried um, your best I, and you failed yeah. and now everyone's going to make fun of your failure. Suck it up, buttercup. Like what? That, well, no. Sherry, I may disagree with you on this because uh, you and I have been up for the radio show of the year with the Marconi Awards. Ten times. We're adults. And ten times our name was not called out. We're adults, though. We're not middle schoolers. We're not 14 years old sitting in a classroom with our heart in our throat after having given everything we had to try and out for the basketball team. And now we're being humiliated in front of our classmates. I, I know there are people out there that are like, yes, and then go outside and be beaten in the sun. <laughs> I know y'all are out there. Believe me, I know. I have email. I read your emails. Um, I just don't happen to agree that we need to add a healthy dollop of public humiliation onto the disappointment of not having made the team. I just I just think for a young woman to put on a uh, cheerleading costume and to go out in front of 6th, 7th, and 8th graders who are without mercy in their heart. They are the cruelest. If the Russians want to advance, get the eighth graders. That's that's their only hope. They have no mercy at all. And you're jumping up and down in a short skirt like that, and, and they're being judged. I, I tell you what, I wouldn't have that kind of courage. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it. But I'm sure there are lots of people that feel that the children should be tormented, humiliated then beaten because that's what happened to you when you were a kid and you turned out just fine just fine <laughs> all right coming up the dogs of chernobyl maybe that's what we should do to these kids you go try out for baseball in the exclusion zone you get a little radioactive so what toughens you up when i was your age i walked to school uphill both ways to radioactive dust yeah God, people are nuts. It's Bob and Sherry. Bring whatever you drink and celebrate. Happy hour, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. Tonight, it's Bob and Sherry. Boy, this Murdoch murder thing out of Hampton, South Carolina, just continues. I thought it was all over. We'd heard everything pretty much. But the New York Times is out with this headline. Breaking silence. Murdoch brother says, quote, not knowing is the worst thing, unquote. I knew knew nothing about his brother. I'm just going to read from this story. On the surface, the lives of Alec Murdoch and his older brother, Randy, appeared to follow the same track. They were born two years apart. Both went to the University of South Carolina for college and law school. And then the two worked as partners at the family firm that had grown out of a century-old law practice founded by their great-grandfather. But even in college, it was clear they were different. Alec was briefly on the football team and a regular at college parties. Randy, a self-described hometown boy, would go back home to Hampton every weekend 
to hunt and fish. In recent years, their offices were close enough that Randy could hear his brother's constant phone calls, but they rarely, rarely spent any time alone together. This is the quote. It's not like there were some problems with our relationship necessarily, Randy Murdoch said. We just really were not alike, so we didn't do stuff together. Then came Alex's arrest for the murder of his wife and son amid expanding allegations that he stole millions of dollars from clients in his own law firm, which forced Randy to question whether he had ever truly known his brother. In the first interview a family member has given since the trial, Randy Murdoch said that he had no doubt that his brother was a serial liar and thief. He said also that he believed that Alec had not told the whole truth about what he knew about the killings. But asked directly whether he thought his brother carried out the murders, he said he still did not know. As a lawyer, he said he respects the jury's verdict, but he finds it impossible to picture Alec, a man he had known for decades as a protective husband and father, pulling the trigger and inflicting that carnage that prosecutors described as a crime of cold calculation. Quote, Mm. he knows more than what he's saying. Unquote, Randy said. He's not telling the truth, in my opinion, about everything out there. For his entire family, he said this has been the most painful issue to confront. The not knowing is the worst thing. After six weeks of trial, they came away more convinced that he did not do this. He is referring to uh, the Murdoch family. They steadfastly are in his camp and supported him. And, um, of course, he was sentenced to two life terms. I didn't know anything about his brother at all. I don't recall uh, news media pointing him out. I didn't see him. I've there. seen him interviewed a handful of you times. Yeah. yeah. He's not a, yeah. he, he doesn't have the, the big, um, bright ginger hair. Right. That, uh, Alex and Buster and Paul Paul had. Yeah. He was at um, the courthouse. I'm looking at a fo- yeah. uh, photo of him with Buster. And um, he's got kind of dark hair, brown hair, which is is probably going to help him if he t- if he wants to stay in that town. He's a handsome looking man. If he wants to stay in that town, he's better off not having hair like that. I can't imagine what his life is going to be um, in that. That's a small town. Uh, he walks into a bank, into a uh, a luncheonette, get his car fixed or whatever. You're you're going to hear the whispers as soon as you walk through the door. For the rest of your life. It'll never go away. I think that he probably, even though he'll never climb out from under the shadow, um, you kind of get the feeling from everything I've seen with him and read with him that he's he was he's a Murdoch, but he wasn't those Murdochs. Does that, does that yeah. sound right to you from yeah. what you've well, seen? Well, I mean, it was he had, his brother stole money from him, a lot of money. His brother was stealing a million dollars a year. I don't know how, where was the CFO with that uh, company? You know, how do you get away with stealing a million dollars a year? Um, it wasn't at his company. Like, wasn't it his law firm? His law firm. The, yeah. I mean, yeah. Lawyers, if you're a partner in a law firm, I have friends who are lawyers. They know where all the dollars are, which of the new young lawyers, how much they're bringing in, who they are, you know, who, who, what, uh, what attorney needs to retire because he's at retirement age and he's not, he's not bringing in the new money anymore. They know where all the money is. I can't believe 
in that small town. And I know it was the biggest practice in that town, but still wasn't that big. This was not the white shoe practice in, you know, Atlanta. How long, um, how long, I can't remember right off the top of my head. How long had the thieving been going on? Multiple years. I I think it was, I'm just going to pull this out of the blue. I think it was like eight years, but it averaged about a million dollars a year. And then finally, whoever was in charge of the accounting, I think it was a woman, came forward and said, there is something rotten (laughs) in Hampton. It's just, oh, God. You know, the thing is, like, the Murdoch family, like, held sway over that place for generations. But when you look at this one Murdoch brother, you're like, wow, you were... You're not like everybody else in the family, are you? Seemingly, he was not. And yet he's stuck. You're right. He's stuck there. He's stuck there. And as far as how did they get away with it for so long, you see that a lot with white collar crime. Like like we just had a a church secretary in Alabama that we talked about last month. She'd been stealing for seven years before she got Mm -hmm. caught. It Mm -hmm. takes a while, I think, for that to catch up. Yeah, you have to have oversight. This is Bob and Sherry. You read it once. I don't believe that. And then you read it again. I can't believe this. It's Bob and Cherry's. I believe this. Shit. I cannot believe this. Guys, we're going to talk about the dogs of Chernobyl here. I just love it when we sp- when we spread cheer in the morning. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's our brand. It's just it's fantastic. Who else does brand. this? Nobody. Yeah. It's a Bob and Cherry exclusive. Exclusive. Yes, of so, course it is. So listen, when the Chernobyl nuclear reactor exploded in 1986, people were evacuated. Um, they, they, were, they fled with the clothes on their backs. They left in classrooms, schoolwork still sitting on desks, meals half finished on people's dining room tables. Right. And one of the things that got left behind were a lot of pet dogs. Now, I know that hurts to hear it. Um, But it's the truth. A lot of dogs were left behind. And today, there are about 302 dogs that live in the Chernobyl. They call it the exclusion zone because it's going to be radioactive for about a million years. So there are 302 dogs that live in the exclusion zone. And these dogs are believed to be the descendants of pets left behind by residents when they evacuated the region in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Now, anybody that really has followed Chernobyl, knows that um, teams went in and and did unimaginably uh, terrible things to try to limit the spread of radiation. They didn't get all the dogs. And so these dogs have been breeding and interbreeding and reproducing. And there are three groups of them now. And they live either in the nuclear power plant itself or um, as far off as about 28 miles, okay, in the village that yeah. was built for the people that work there. Yeah, these yeah. dogs, these dogs since 1986 have been breeding and interbreeding, and they are now genetically distinct from every other dog on Earth thanks to being exposed for years and years and years oh my goodness. to ionizing radiation. I don't tell you that to make you sad. I tell you that because the dogs are being studied They think that they have evolved to be immune to radiation poisoning. And if the dogs can make that leap, could that not apply to people? Think about that. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking about now? I am thinking about when this movie comes out. 
the dogs that were exposed to radiation that now are in some ways invincible. <laughs> are you telling oh, like me cocaine after bear? cocaine this is, bear and this snakes is nuke on the dog. plane? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is nuke dog. Exactly. Um, one of the canine geneticists, what a cool job that is, studying these dogs said, how do these dogs survive living yeah. inside the Chernobyl reactor? 15 generations. That's how many generations of dogs there have been since mm-hmm. the, the reactor I was exploded. wondering. I was wondering how they're eating. 15 I guess they were gen- reverting, reverting back to their wolf-like uh, origins. They're hunting their food. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, any dog that you or I have ever had is not living in the Chernobyl nuclear reactor. Sam Nash can barely survive on my couch. He's not going to be okay at Chernobyl, right? If if these- Mary is playing if Mary is playing a TikTok too loud, Finn will get up and go into my closet for some damn peace and quiet. He's not going to be okay in Chernobyl. No, so he's not. Here's what really surprised the the canine geneticists who went in to study these dogs. They thought that there wouldn't be three distinct groups. They figured that since 1986, the dogs that were left had been intermingling, but they can even identify families within this population of 300 dogs. There are 15 different dog families and those families are completely unique compared to any other dog in the world. And they, they think it's not clear yet that the three different groups of dogs are different because they've each had three different levels of exposure. There are dogs that are right in there at the in the reactor, and they have they have had genetic mutations that have allowed them to survive that radiation and breed. Wow! Think about that for a second. That's mm. like that's like something out of a, a like a sci-fi movie. And they're 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 also um, because they're cut off from dogs in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Even within these three families of dogs, they're inbreeding, and so they're they're sharing these mutations, and it's accelerating. So now they're wow. looking at the dogs, and they're saying, mm-hmm. okay, what what is different for these dogs at the very level of their DNA? How are they able to survive this exposure to radiation? And what can we learn about that that will help people survive similar? Like, let's, what if there was another um, radi- uh, reactor explosion? What if there was a nuclear attack, right? You need people to be able to survive radiation. And they said that the dogs, um, even though they have never lived with people, they're still dogs. They, they've given them names. They said one of them, we call her Prancer, because when she sees us, she gets so excited and starts prancing. And even though these are wild animals, who have never been domesticated, these dogs, they've never lived with people or even really in proximity to people. When they see people, they go nuts with excitement and happiness. Really? Which is pretty cool. Yeah, which yeah, is pretty yeah. cool, don't you think? Yeah. I do. Yeah. I do, yeah. You know you know how rich people uh, name their houses sometimes, you know, uh, very, very rich people. They've got a house with some property and they, <clears throat> instead of it's just the Smith residence, it's, it's called something like Hickory Hill. I think if I won the lottery, because, you know, I don't want a lot of people bothering me. I would call the house Chernobyl, you know, and just just put that little and sign right there. And just be right left there. alone. Yeah. And just, just be, be left, left alone. alone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I want to tell you, since we're, you know, we're doing this uplifting Chernobyl info, I want to tell yeah. you one more thing about Chernobyl mm-hmm. that's going to that's gonna make you realize, like, it's a disaster. 
but it wasn't all bad for nature. Um, they let a photographer spend 10 days inside the exclusion zone photographing the, the wildlife in that incredibly dangerous radioactive place. Mm-hmm. And there's a species of horse which disappeared from the wild more than 100 years ago. Those horses are roaming the Chernobyl exclusion zone. Wow. That's they are that's endangered. Impressive. They are endangered animals and they mm-hmm. are absolutely living their best life in the 600,000. Oh, by the way, how many how much land is ruined and radioactive? 600,000 acres. Yeah, I just love the Russians. They don't call it a disaster area. They call it an exclusion zone. The exclusion they don't call zone, it they yeah. don't call it an invasion. They call it a special military operation. So it's t- it's terrible, but some good yeah. looks like it's coming out of it. And if you're That's a dog good. lover, the news that these wild radioactive dogs take one look at a person and lose their minds with joy. That's got to fill your dog loving heart a little bit, right? A little bit. Yep, exactly. Bit. It's Bob and Sherry. Leave us a talk back. Talk back with the free Bob and Sherry app. Some lawmakers in Congress are looking at uh, ticket prices and how tickets are sold uh, to the public for concerts. I mean, it's getting to the point you can send a kid to college for a year or you can buy one ticket to see Beyonce. And uh, it's just ridiculous with bots buying up thousands of tickets and then reselling them. And even if you just go through Ticketmaster, you know, there's all sorts of add-ons. Can I can I give you an example of some of the add-ons when you buy just a, a concert ticket? At yeah, Ticketmaster? yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Ticketmaster uh, concert ticket sells for $40. Now, the venue fee is added. That's twenty one thirty two. Of course, you got the access fee. That's eighteen dollars and thirty two cents. The paperless transmission fee is twelve oh three. There's the fee fee. That's eight dollars and eighty four cents. There's the fee five fo fum fee. That's eight dollars and eighty four cents. <laughs> There's the cause we can the cause we can fee. That's two bucks and one penny. The might as well fee. That's a dollar eighty nine. There's the what you're going to do about it fee. That's $3. And there's the final fee. Another dollar won't hurt fee. That is an even one buck. Have a great time at the concert. Man, when I was a kid, I can remember buying a ticket to see James Brown. I was 14 years old. You'd walk up to the uh, venue. You, you give your money. You get your ticket. And there it was. And then you'd go home. None of this None of this stuff at all. It'll be interesting to see if those guys in Congress really do get some control over what these ticket selling companies are doing. I wonder if concerts are going to become a thing that just that like so many things that just wealthy people do. And everybody else watches mm pay-per-view or whatever. I, it, what blows my mind are there are people who are not wealthy that are paying a thousand twelve hundred dollars a seat to see Celine Dion. And they're wonderful artists, Celine Dion, Beyonce, whoever it may be. I, I don't know. They're out there buying groceries after paying for that. It blows my mind. Dude, I don't think there's an act that I'm a big enough fan of to pay a thousand dollars a ticket. How about me you? Me too. No. And me you can too. name. I'm I mean, totally there's great. some great acts. I, you know, mm-hmm. I would love to sell. Who I'd love to see Beyonce. You betcha. Mm-hmm. Thousand bucks a ticket? Uh uh-uh. uh. No, not That's crazy. Do it. This is Bob and Cherry.
I just love being outside. There's so many things to do this time of the year. I don't want to spend a lot of time cooking. And that's why I love Factors. No prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors, fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. And here's the best part. They are absolutely delicious. I love them. 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from. Head to factormeals.com slash bands50 and use the code bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code bands50 at factormeals.com slash bands50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Now, let's open up the Bob and Sherry Archive Vault. The 11 ingredients every couple needs for great sex. I'm going to go 11 to number one. Number one is interesting, and I want you to explain to me what they mean by this. By There are two words used in this explanation. Horizontal surface? No, 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 no. <laughs> Discernible pulse. <laughs> Eyes can follow a light beam. <laughs> yeah. All right, number 11. Number 11, it's an odd one to start with. Love. You would think that's sort of a. Yeah, but a lot of people don't realize point. how much better um, sex is when you love the person and they love I you know, back. I know. Number 10, a sense of humor. Oh, that's I agree. critical. Totally agree. But, you know, a lot of folks just don't have it. You need a sense of humor if you're going to have a really good sex life. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> there's some like there's some silly, some silly stuff, stuff yeah. that could be like really awkward if you yeah. don't have a sense of humor. Yeah, that's right. Number nine, an open mind and a willingness mutually to try new things. These are the 11 ingredients every couple needs for great sex. Number eight, confidence. Yeah. I think that's true. I think you know, it's very true. I read all the time in like men's magazines, like men's health and stuff, and, and even in women's magazines. It's in Cosmo this month that um, men are not nearly as focused on your imperfections as you are, and that they that a woman who's confident about her body and stuff is yeah. way, way a turn on. That's true? Or do, you, or do you all take note of all the imperfections? No, I don't think most men do. I honestly no. don't no? because, yeah, I mean, we know what we look like. And almost none of us look like the magazine covers. We just don't. Go on. Okay, number number seven. Okay, number seven, mutual selflessness. Yeah, that's a big one. You know what I read once, though? It, it said to have the really best sex, you should be selfish. Because you go for what you want. And because you're getting what you want, your performance will be at its, at its highest level. But you, you can't leave your partner. No, I think we both know what we're talking about there. You I know. agree. I agree. Out of it. <laughs> Go ahead, number six. Number six, the right state of mind or mood. Now, you can get yourself into the right state. Of, like, you cannot be in the state of mind or the mood. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you open yourself to the possibility, you mm-hmm. might could get there. Mm-hmm. 
Because some people are never in the right mood or mm -hmm. never in the right state of mind. And so mm -hmm. they never have sex. And then they never, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's like a self-defeating mm -hmm. kind of cycle that you get on. And then you go into hibernation. Mm -hmm. Number five ingredient that you need to have great sex is an emotional connection. Yeah. All right. So number four. Um, an intangible spark. That chemistry thing. That's dude. what that is. Yeah, that's what it is. That is the stuff. You have to have it. Number three. Number three. Dating a man shorter than you are. Makes you blissfully happy? It's one of the 11 ingredients that every couple needs for great sex. Really? No, not really. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> you just thought you'd throw that in there? Yeah. Uh, number three is mutual attraction. Mutual, you just have to mutual have Mutual attraction, you do. And that is... How does that differ, though, from an intangible spark? That kind of confused me there. Because, like, like we could be attracted to each other, uh -huh. but there's not that chemistry between us, which is how we've managed to keep our hands off each other all these many years. You can be attracted to someone and there not be chemistry. Right. You can you know, find it's, it's someone It's amazing when you describe my relationship to you, how quickly you just say, and there's absolutely no chemistry. I mean, if there was, we no, were there's, kind of there's chemistry. There's no attraction. There's yeah, not yeah. sexual chemistry. Because you can find somebody very attractive and not really be attracted to them, you know? Oh, yeah. Number two, spontaneity. Spontaneity. Yeah, that's always fun. I need to learn that a little bit more to be more spontaneous. You are a planner. Don't beat yourself up. I know. You like to plan. I do. I do like to plan, but I need to be more spontaneous, I think. I think European Thursday is a fine example. Yeah, of there you go. Well, no, not really, because European Thursday is. You know, but the first planned. time you did it, it was well. Then it, then it was spontaneous. Yes. But now it's planned. Well. <laughs> you know, it's funny on European Thursday today. I go to my therapist just before European Thursday, which I find self-examination Thursday. Yeah. yeah right. It's you're going to need the wine that comes yeah. with your opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to break my one wine rule. All right, so love, sense of humor, an open yeah. mind, confidence, right. mutual selflessness, the right uh -huh. state of mood, emotional connection, intangible stark, mutual attraction, spontaneity, and the number one thing you need to have, unbelievable sex. And I want you to explain this to me. This comes from a women's magazine. Okay. The ability to make your partner feel comfortably threatened. Well, I'll tell you why tell you what this is all about anytime you have an element of any sort of risk or danger or the unknown lighthouse it, it amps the uh it amps up the intensity of the moment and the unknown could be all the risk or the danger danger is not really the right word mostly it's the unknown are you the kind of woman who will do X out of the blue? Are you the kind of guy that'll suggest Y? Are you going to change up the game and, and like throw off all the expectations midstream? It makes it very much more passionate and intense. But you have to be comfortably. You have to know threatened. that you have to, if you have like, try, if you, if a you woman feel, wrote this, by the way, a woman wrote, I'm this. trying to explain it to you. If, you've, if you're with someone and you feel very um, physically and emotionally safe and protected, you're going to be more adventurous and uninhibited anyway because you know that you're in a safe place with that person. Mm -hmm. um, what 
and and this really is true for women, I think maybe we get it for movies or whatever. Um, you want that little that little that little spark of whoa. But do you want to be the one who initiates that? Yeah, you want to initiate it sometimes and you want to be surprised by it sometimes. And you're a lucky guy if you're with a woman that'll do that for you because that will rock your slamming world. Sign up for our newsletter. We never spam you. Never did. Get Bob and Sherry exclusives. Just go to bobandsherry.com. I want to share a little something that I've learned about our queen, Dolly Parton, that I did not know. Um, I just love. I just love her. I love her as a person. She's just so genuine and and she's so engaged in her life. You know, she doesn't live, she doesn't live in the past. She doesn't live in the future. She lives in the moment with a heart full of gratitude and such a joyful appreciation of whatever is rolling her way. I mean, in, in some ways, Dolly Parton is as Zen as the Dalai Lama. You know, they share a name and they share that characteristic. She's, she's truly Zen. So um, here's what I learned about Dolly. Dolly loves to cook. She grew up watching her mama cook. Um, there's lots of recipes and she'll be the first one to tell you this is not the food that's the really best for you. It's not the healthiest food, but every once in a while you need to eat something that that's all about feeding your soul. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. do it every day. Like she heard, she said her daddy used to love, um, biscuits and gravy, white milk gravy with sausage. And she said that daddy was left-handed. So we called it daddy's left-handed gravy and still one of her favorite things to eat today. Again, you're not going to eat it every day, but every once in a while, it's really good. So when Dolly goes on tour, she has in her tour bus a giant refrigerator. It's so big that in order to get it into the tour bus, they had to remove the front windshield of the bus and leverage it in that way. It's gigantic. And before Dolly goes on tour, she cooks and she loads that tour bus freezer with containers of homemade food. She said, I just put a bunch of those containers in my freezer. So I have food I love. Yeah, you can order stuff from restaurants and we usually have a catering service, feed the whole band and stuff like that. But after the show, I like to eat something comforting that's food that I make and that I know I'm going to love. That's smart. And not as not only smart, but that's so Dolly, isn't it? You know, back on her tour bus and her Dolly jammies, you know, eating some real food, not something that, you know, came in in a plastic container. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she has her her own line now of Duncan Hines cake mixes and cake frostings. I don't know if you knew that. One of Karamea, one of uh, Karamea's friends, they were home visiting for a weekend a few months ago and they whipped up a, um, a Dolly Parton cake with Dolly's buttercream frosting. It was great. It was so funny. They were like, mom, we're making a Dolly Parton cake. And it was a box mix or whatever, but it turned out pretty good. So Dolly said, I'm real proud. I'm real proud of um, how well it turned out. And I'm real glad that the fans like it. She said, sometimes uh, fans will come to me and they'll, they'll ask for some advice on how to use the baking mix. And Dolly said, I tell them, quote, don't eat the boxes. They're souvenirs. <laughs> just make the cake and eat the cake inside. And I just love her. I mean, here's a woman. I can't even guesstimate what Dolly Parton's net worth is. I have no way of 
of even doing that math. I don't know either, but if you're a business, you know, one of the things that you have to look out for if you have a uh, celebrity endorsement is what's the possibility of the celebrity, you know, doing something that's inappropriate and then our brand gets stuck with it. I mean, Subway with that Jared guy who's in jail right now, it's a perfect example. You know, that brand was uh, for a little while kind of damaged. If you have Dolly Parton as the spokesperson or, you know, the image, you're probably going to be okay because she's gone a long time without messing up. I just love that she's who you think she is. She's eating her. She said she could eat chicken and dumplings or a baked potato every day of the week. She is the same person that she was when she was a little girl up there in the Smoky Mountains. She is the she's who you think she is. And I don't know how many superstars at that level that would be true of. But I'm just never the strangest that relationship, though, don't you think? I mean, I, I'm just going to jump in here and say that I'm not, not saying it's not healthy or not good. It certainly works for her. And what's her husband's name? Carl. Carl. Um, but, you know, you just never see him. He doesn't seemingly travel with her and um, they don't have children. And it's just they've got they've worked something out um, that just works for them. He's private. Bob, he doesn't want any part of, mm -hmm. he just doesn't, he doesn't want it. Right. I, I don't know why, I don't know why people are so confused by that. Like, are we so addicted to fame in this country that we, that it's weird if somebody just wants to live a quiet life as a private citizen? No, but I mean, he's, he's really kind of enigmatic. I mean, usually you'll find something out about a celebrity, especially one that's been, you know, married to the same person for so many years has been around. She's been around as a performer for like 55 years. And you really don't know anything about uh, her husband. Loretta Lynn's husband, the same thing, really. Not well, quite hey, maybe, as mysterious. Maybe he doesn't exist. Maybe he's chopped up and in those containers in the tour bus fridge. And that's why <laughs> nobody ever gets a look at him. It's well, there Bob goes, and Sherry. There goes the cake mix. <laughs> it's Bob and Sherry. There are certain hotels throughout our country where uh, they handle weddings very well. You know, they have a whole staff. They have a wedding director. And usually they're at a location that has a great visual appeal. Like on the my daughter, Allie, got married uh, on the beach. And it was beautiful. And they ran it well. My daughter, Landon, was married in a beautiful southern backyard with live oaks that made sort of a canopy that she could walk down with me. And, uh, you know, if you have a mountain view, a hotel will, you know, accommodate your wedding. We've all seen them. And I'm looking at a photo right now, and I want you to tell me if the uh, person who was in charge of this sign is kidding or they just missed it completely. It's a Radisson Hotel, and it looks like it's about... I don't know, 12 to 15 stories high. I think it's on a beach and it looks kind of Floridian. And it's a Radisson Hotel. And there's a giant sign. I mean, it's the size of a billboard. They're hanging from the roof and it covers the first three uh, top floors. And it's a picture of a, uh, a man and a woman, a bride and a groom. She's got on the gown and they have the champagne glasses in front of them. It's a very, very pretty picture. And there's the telephone number you can call if you would like to book to have your wedding there. And then right underneath the bride and groom, there's the words, marry now, pay later. So my question <laughs> to you is, was that to get a smile or was that something that they just missed? 
and they're saying, you can get married now, you can pay us over time for the wedding. Which was it? And I know the first thing you're going to say is, oh, that's, they totally knew. How could you, how could you miss that? But you know what? A bride does not have any sense of humor at all. I think when it comes to her wedding, when it comes to her wedding, there's no joking in the idea that somebody says, marry now, pay later. What do you think? I think they missed it. And here's why I think they missed it. There are a lot of people that would find that utterly offensive and boycott their business if they make yeah, I it think seriously. So too. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Why would not you, why would you say, oh, that's, yeah, well, <laughs> I, yeah, right. I mean, I'm not disputing the truth of it, but I think, <laughs> I think that they missed it. And here's how I think they missed it. I think that um, most people don't do what we do for a living. They, and they're just, they're, they're doing their job and they're very sincere and they're focused on other things. And, yeah. you know, and they're you literal. Can get married today and pay for your yeah. wedding later. Marry now, pay later. And, oh, it's simple <laughs> and, ca- yeah, I think that this, they totally missed it. Is, the, is the, whoever, whoever did that, is that the literal among, among us where they, it's they, the, they sincere. Say, well, the sincere, it's the sincere, yeah. Marry now, pay later. Yeah. How could I, how could more than one person had to miss that? I mean, the yeah, printer, yeah, yeah. the the guys that put it up, word didn't get around. Can you believe that Kathy Jean came up with this? How Here, could here's get up there? here's how it happens. It just happens because, like, I went the UPS store near my house. I went in there one day to ship something, and there was a long line, and I'm standing in line, and I didn't have my phone with me, so now I'm forced to like look around. And there's a gigantic sign that fills almost one wall of the shop. And it says, we print anything. Yard sings, banners. They misspelled sign. We print anything. Yard yeah. sings. And it included a line like, trust us with your most important job. <laughs> and I'm standing there looking at it. And I'm like, I want to trust y'all with my most important job. Yeah, but, but your sign, you just announced that you print yard sings. Next time I went into the store, the sign had, the sign had been fixed, right? This is a company, you had one job. Yeah. You print things for people. You print yard right. sings for people. <laughs> How many eyes, and this was not a small piece of paper. That's the this thing. This filled an entire wall in multiple colors. How many people didn't see yard sings? Oh, That's the most interesting part about this this conversation is that it's more than the one person who do, who is very literal or, or very sincere. Marry now, pay later. Well, that's what we do. But the guy who put it up, the uh, the people who are working outside where they see tourists taking pictures of it, nobody said, you got to call Kathy Jean. That, that, that is not working for us. I, this is the kind of thing that happens, and and you go, well... I guess folks have other things on their minds that are more important. Yeah. That's why I, I think so. this one got missed. Yeah. Gave me a laugh. It's Bob and Sherry. Happy hour tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern live on the Bob and Sherry Facebook page. Back in 2012, a guy walked into a Walmart in Arkansas to buy some milk. And he said, I saw this huge insect on the side of the building. And I thought it looked really interesting. So I put it in my hand and did the rest of my shopping with it between my fingers. I got home, I mounted it, set it aside, and forgot about it for about 10 years. 
That guy happens to be the director of insect identification at Penn State University. So all these years go by, and he's teaching a class on on Zoom, and he, he remembers this bug, and he says to his students, yeah, yeah, let me show you this bug that I found at a Walmart in Arkansas. And they're looking at it under the microscope, and suddenly the, the teacher just stops, and he says, wait a minute, this isn't what I thought it was. It turns out that it is a super rare bug. It's a giant lacewing that's been around since the Jurassic era. Wow. You used to find them everywhere in North America, but by the 1950s, it had basically vanished from Eastern North America. They think that light pollution and predators and blah, 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 it was just gone. So finding it at the Arkansas Walmart, brand new state record, First time it's been spotted in Eastern North America in over the 50 years. It's a gigantic bug that has flown around the earth since the dinosaurs. That's and of course, it was hanging out at Walmart because anything and everything <laughs> can be experienced, seen, felt, smelled, tasted, and heard at a Walmart. Is that not such a cool story? You know, it's so mind-blowing that scientists can say they can have some way to analyze a teeny-weeny creature like that. I know it's a big bug, but it's a small creature. And say, oh yeah, that's from this period of uh, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. How did they do that? That book learning. (laughs) I'm starting to think there's something to it. You know, you hear mixed things. Ban the books. The books are bad. Then you got a guy grabbing a bug at a Walmart that turns out to be, you know, prehistoric. You're like, oh, no, there might be something to these books. It's Bob and Sherry. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Bob and Sherry podcast and the Bob and Sherry Oddcast. We would love if you would subscribe, rate and review and share it with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you go. And thank you again for listening. Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10.